There's a few elders away. Thankfully, we've still got a few of the sensible ones left behind. So uh, that should keep me on track. How is everyone doing this morning? So, as always happens when um, I have something, or I'm called on to preach, my heart's desire is one of those awesome sermons that have three amazing points, and they all start with the same letter. And I didn't get that this time. So, um, uh, in fact, I, I just kept getting the same passage, um, which is in my Bible somewhere. And it's the story of Jesus walking on the water. And I love that story, and it's probably the most preached passage in the Bible. Uh, but there's a reason, it's because it's a cool story. And so we're going to have a look at it again today. Um, there won't be three points, I'm afraid, and they won't all start with the same letter. But um, it's interesting, that story um, with Jesus walking on the water, it's in three of the Gospels. There's three different accounts of it. We're going to look at the one in Matthew. It's in um, chapter 14 from verse 22 to 33. And uh, we're going to jump maybe a couple of times to some of the other, some of the other versions as well just to get a bit of um, more understanding behind what's going on. Um, it's, it's interesting because this passage is immediately following the passage that Kate preached on last week. She talked about kingdom hospitality, feeding the 5,000. And, um, and as soon as Jesus feeds the 5,000, that's when he walks on the water. So it flows nicely. Um, I didn't organize it that way. I guess that's the Holy Spirit. Um, but let's set the context of what Jesus is doing. At, um, John the Baptist has just been killed by Herod. Herod's this psycho kind of despot local ruler. And he's killed John the Baptist in a gruesome fashion. Um, Jesus hears about this and leaves to go be alone and to pray. He's followed by all these people. They find out where he is. Um, so that turns into the feeding of the 5,000, turns into this great big event. And then following that, that's when we talk about Jesus walking on the water. So that's the context that it's in. So let's read through it. We'll start in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. That means it was blowing against them. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, or take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. 
And when Peter had got down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So the first thing we want to have a look at is the first word in the first verse. Immediately. Jesus immediately sends his disciples away. So they've fed the 5,000, the disciples have gone out, they've gathered up the 12 baskets, they've got all this abundance, and immediately Jesus says, drop the baskets, go. Interesting. Because human wisdom, I know if I was one of the disciples, I would say, wow, we're in a good thing here. Hey, Jesus, if you keep doing this, we'll keep gathering up the baskets. We can sell some of, the, some of this excess food, you know, maybe a little bit in our pocket for our trouble. And uh, we can fund the ministry. We can fund the kingdom this way. And Jesus says, go. Because our human wisdom wants to sell the leftovers to fund the kingdom. But that was a demonstration of God's abundance. Jesus is our source and will provide more than enough. But Jesus doesn't want us to put our faith in the abundance. Do you see what I'm saying? So the disciples could could get all their 12 baskets and say, we're set now. Let's just put our faith in this. Jesus says, no, no, get out of here. Get in the boat. Go. When we have an abundance, it's easy for our faith to shift from Jesus as our source to the thing that he's provided. And there's a tension there, isn't there? Because God is abundant. He does bless us abundantly. And I'm not always talking financially. But he blesses us abundantly. And there's this tension between between God's heart, his, his character, his nature of blessing his children and us keeping reliant on Jesus as our source. So sometimes we just have to go. We have to look past it and go. You know, the other thing that this, that this concept of sending the disciples away is that we're not to settle in the place of the last move of God. But we are, con- we are to continue to venture forth into the unknown. You know, I'm sure you know people, maybe it's you, that used to be on fire for Jesus, but now they're just a bit boring. Maybe it's me. At some point, they've just settled. They've settled at some point where God moved in their life and they're like, yep, I'll camp out here. You know, we, um, we, had, some, um, we had Ethan and Lucy over at our house recently and and hearing their passion and excitement for the youth, you know what it said to me? Johan, you've settled a bit. You've settled a little bit somewhere along the line. So we have to rekindle and reactivate that passion and excitement and not settle in the place where God moved for us once upon a time. You know, we see sometimes a denomination or a movement, they camp out around a time when God moved. 
And all of their language is remember when or looking back. But we need to be always looking forward. What is God going to do next? Where is Jesus now? Don't reminisce about the old days, good old days of glory. What is he doing? You know, the other place we shouldn't be settling is theologically. We can't just settle with what we know now. And that's challenging because that means we have to change. Ah, why is change so hard? If change was easy, we'd do it more often. You know, if you have settled theologically, that means you've got it all figured out. There's nothing more for you to learn. You know it all now. You're good to go. And we miss out on actual revelation, and we're resistant to any sort of change. And I've had to experience this over the last few years. I've been challenged with my theology on faith, on the manifestation of the supernatural, And that's not supposed to be that way because I teach a course. Fee and I teach a course on it. We're supposed to know what's going on. We're supposed to have it all down. And then then out of that place of having it all figured out and sorted out, then we teach from there. But that's not how it works. God journeys us all and transitions us all into deeper understanding, deeper revelation. And we go back to the Bible. What does the Word say? Why isn't this not aligning up with what I've been taught? What does the Word say? The more that I learn and know, the more I realize I don't know and I don't understand (laughs) the mysteries of God. And that's okay. Um, Kate said at, um, maybe it was on the Wednesday, one of the Wednesday prayer meetings, stay curious. You don't have to understand, just stay curious. Look, the other thing, as a church, we should not be settling in our success. If you're listening to this on the podcast, I'm doing air quotes around success. Because success talks of some sort of achievement earned. But if Jesus builds his church, not us, if Jesus builds his church, who are we to judge whether it's successful or not? I'm not standing in that place. No, thank you. Because what he does is successful. He builds the way he builds. It's not our job. And so some might look around and look, if we, if we want to judge this church by the metric of the world, we could say things like, well, there's a, a healthy attendance. There's a dynamic kids ministry. So all the kids running out today to learn something. There's a, a large and talented worship team. We've got money in the bank. That's a good metric. Let's just camp out here. Everything's great. Everything's comfortable. (laughs) And Jesus is saying immediately, go. We don't camp out here. This is not where we live spiritually. We are not trying to build something. We leave the church building up to Jesus We are called to advance the kingdom, which involves going. We come here to fill up and then go. We don't sit around with our 12 baskets 
overindulging. <laughs> because there's a kingdom to advance. Okay, that's the first word in the first verse. Let's move on. <laughs> Second word, no. <laughs> okay, so immediately he makes... Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up onto the mountain by himself to pray. Why did Jesus send the multitudes away? Um, He sends his disciples away and then he sends all the people away. Well, the, the answer to that question um, is found in John 6:15, which is another account of this story where it says, "Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they, which is all of the people there, were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. So you can see what's happening is that all of the people around around Jesus are being having their needs met. They are, they are being healed, they're being fed. What else do you want? It's all good. This is good. Let's make this guy our king. Because they're under the, the rulership in that region of Herod, who is, who is this psycho, small man syndrome. And, and they want someone who's nice to them. They want someone who, who heals them, who feeds them, who satisfies their selfish desire. But Jesus is not interested in some sort of political confrontation with a small-time ruler of an area. He is not interested in becoming the king of a region because he is already the king of heaven. And so we see that Jesus is not interested in starting some sort of regional political opposition He doesn't want to get involved in politics, and we see that all through the Scripture. Because why would you bother with petty local policy when you are the King of Heaven? You know, politics will come and go. And so for us, we we cannot let political ideology, and we know the times in which we live, and there's various political ideologies out there, but we cannot let them distract us from what we're called here to do, which is advance the kingdom. How does the kingdom advance? One person at a time. Who is Jesus drawing you to? Who is he asking you to talk to? Who is he instructing you to pray for? Don't be distracted by the cares of the world. The other interesting point to make about this crowd wanting Jesus as their king. Do we follow Jesus? And this is a question we all have to ask ourselves all the time. Do we follow Jesus for who he is or for what he does for us? Do we allow him to be king or do we want him to do what we think is right? I don't have an answer. Answer that yourself. Let's read on. 
And so when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. So this is the picture that, that the disciples are all in the boat. Um, presumably it's a sailboat, but because the wind's blowing the wrong way, they are rowing into the wind. And they're not really getting anywhere. Because they've been at it for hours, and they're still like in the middle of the sea. I actually Googled how far um, they would have had to row. It was about eight kilometers. Um, that's the best I can sort of figure out, because nobody really knows where they were going, and there's sort of all different theories. But it's around about eight, eight kilometers that they were going to have to sail or, or row. And they're just still out in the middle of the, of the Sea of Galilee. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, which is between sort of three and five in the morning, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. We're going to circle back to that in a minute. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you... Command me to come to you on the water. You know what struck me about verse 28 is that Peter initiates this miracle. If he'd never said anything, there wouldn't have been a miracle for him. He would never have walked on the water. Peter initiated it. And, you know, we talk a lot. In fact, you can see in the previous, in the previous story where Jesus is feeding the 5,000. His plan was not to feed, feed the 5,000. His plan was not to minister to multitudes of people. His plan was to get away and to be praying quietly. All these people showed up and it says, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. He changed his mind. He changed what he was doing because some people came to him. So, Jesus, when he's, when he's walking on the water, some of the other accounts say he was walking as though he was passing them by. He wasn't walking to them. He was like, hey, guys, I'm walking over here, and they're out there on the boat straining at the oars. Hey, guys. He's walking past them, and Peter's like, hey, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Peter wanted to initiate something. We talk a lot um, here at Redemption Hills anyway, about partnering with Jesus. What does it mean to partner with Jesus? Let's have a look in, in John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, put that in your memory. That's his command. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. What did he just command us? To love one another. Right, okay, you're getting it. Now I've lost my place. <laughs> no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. 
in uh, these things I command you that you love one another. So Jesus calls us friends and brings us into partnership. What does that look like? That means that friendship, it speaks of intimacy of relationship. We know what Jesus is doing because he shows us. How do I know, um, how do I, my, this is Daniel, my friend over here. I don't sit around at home waiting for Daniel to text me out of the blue and let me know what he's up to. I text him and say, hey, Dan, what are you up to this weekend? I inquire of him. We can do the same with Jesus. We don't wait around for the angelic visitation complete with trumpets and clouds and everything. We can say, hey, Jesus, what are you up to in this situation? We can inquire of him. We can reach out to him. So our role in this partnership, which we're in with with Jesus, is, first of all, to love one another. And with that in mind, then we go and bear fruit. Now, the bearing fruit is talking about in in this passage is not the the fruits of... um, You know, the love, joy, patience, kindness. What are they called? Fruits of the Spirit. Sorry, mental blank. That's not the fruits that it's talking about there. Going and bearing fruit and the fruit should remain is talking about advancing the kingdom, preaching the gospel, seeing people get saved. So our role in the partnership is to love one another. With that in mind, loving one another, we go and advance the kingdom, preaching the gospel. And with, in that context... We ask the Father for things in the name or with the authority of Jesus. And that's how it works. That's how we partner with him. So it says there we are to ask. We are to inquire of him in that context. And then Jesus finishes it up by saying, these things I command you that you love one another. He just reminds us that that's an important part at the end of that passage. He says it twice. So um, Kate last week talked about hospitality, loving one another, caring for one another. Do you want to be part of a church that has a mandated allotted time, three minutes of fellowship? Is that the kind of church you want to be part of? Or do you want a church that has organic, natural, genuine fellowship? Because if that's the sort of church you want, then that's the church you are. Because you are the church. You don't wait for someone, you don't wait for a leader to call for volunteers, to see who wants to be part of a a team, to be rostered on, to be nice to people that week. That's that's not how we do it. If we want to be a church that welcomes and is hospitable, then we are the church. We become that church. We do it. We be that person. If you're feeling isolated, come early and welcome people. It's a great way to meet everyone that comes through the door. If you're new, you can come and welcome people. We don't have any... You don't have to be be coming here for a certain amount of time before you can get involved. 
So we get to take an active role in what Jesus is doing. And we get to ask him. And, and specifically, um, I always have to talk about uh, the supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit because we teach a course and it's good advertising. <laughs> because I believe it's such an important part of God revealing his heart and nature and character to humanity. And in, um, in John chapter 14, verse 12, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And that's the verse we pull out of our memory bank when we've driven around the block three times and we haven't found a car park. Lord, provide a car park. If I ask for anything in your name, you'll do it. But if we look at the context of him saying that, it's in the context of supernatural manifestation. He wants to be made manifest. He wants to be revealed to the world. And so it is right for us to inquire of the Lord, to ask Jesus, hey, what are you doing in this moment? Or like Peter, and you encounter someone who needs healing or who needs breakthrough, you can say, Jesus, would you heal? Would you provide breakthrough? Let's initiate something. Let's ask him. Verse 29. So Peter's asked, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. When Jesus says, come, whatever obstacle that is in your path can become the actual means to get to him. There is no longer anything in the way for us to come to Jesus. He's torn the curtain in two. You know, I don't believe Peter had faith to walk on water. Peter had faith to respond to the voice of Jesus. The water just happened to be there. The water had no say in it. So our faith should never be on the miracle, but always in Jesus. And I've challenged myself because, you know, sometimes I've used language like, oh, I've got, I've got faith for healing. I've got faith for the prophetic. But our faith should be in Jesus because all of that happens through him. And our faith is demonstrated by acting on what Jesus has said. All of the disciples in the boat believed, but only one had faith, because faith is turning belief into an action. So let's have a look at verse 30. So Peter's out there on the water. When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, 
Lord, save me. Do we know where to turn when things don't go to plan? Peter knew immediately who to cry out to. And speaking from my own life, it's easy for me to have this, you know what, I've got this attitude. I like to, to problem solve and find solutions and, and the Lord's given me a logical brain for those sort of things. But it's really easy with that logical brain to step into this area of, you know what, I've got this. I'm going to work this out myself. And then only when it's collapsing do we think, well, I'll better cry out to Jesus now. And could it be that Peter had expected Jesus to calm the sea and make his way easy? I mean, after all, this, he's just starting out on his water-walking ministry. This is his first foray out of the boat. Surely Jesus will make it easy for him, won't he? And I, you know, in my mind, when I think about Jesus walking on the water and Peter, I can picture like, I can work it out kind of like if I picture a glassy sea, and so it's kind of like walking on ice, you know. But it, it doesn't say that. It was like a stormy sea and there's waves. What does that look like? I mean, they'll be going up and down, and they'll be losing their balance. This is crazy. And so sometimes stepping out of the boat is actually the easy part. Sometimes stepping out is, is easier than after we've taken a few steps and we suddenly think, you know what, this is not working out. This is not as easy as I thought it would be. This is really stormy. Are we still able to stay focused on what Jesus said when things don't work out? In times of our life when Jesus has called us to do something radical or dynamic or you know, moving to a different country, for example, there are times when once you've stepped out of the boat, you're in a stormy patch and you're thinking, oh my goodness, did, it, it, are we in the right spot here? This is not easy. If Jesus said to do it, wouldn't he have made it easy? And we have to remind ourselves, did he say come? Verse 31, immediately... Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? So it's, it's interesting. Jesus, in, there's three immediately's in this passage. The first immediately we've, we've talked about at length at the start. Um, the second immediately is when um, they are worried that, it's, that he's a ghost and immediately Jesus says to them, do not be afraid. So he says this, do not be afraid. When does Peter start to sink? The moment he has fear, he sinks. Because fear will not only distract you from what Jesus is saying, but it will rob you of your destiny in him. It dissuades you from what he said. Did he really say that? Or was that just you making it up? He, fear will obscure your view of Jesus. 
like Peter with these waves, you know, there's Jesus, no, I can't see him, in the, I'm in the trough. Oh, there he is, no, and I'm in the trough again. And, and Jesus immediately stretches out his hand, catches him and says to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Can I just point out that little faith is better than no faith? Because the boat's full of people that had no faith. <laughs> Jesus says, why did you doubt? And I don't think Peter doubted that he could walk on water. I think Peter was doubting that Jesus would save him. And Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt that I would ever not save you? He will always save us. I have, um, this is, I've invented a a theology based around this passage, and it's called the long arm theology. In that Peter wasn't standing right next to Jesus when he sank, and yet as soon as he sank and cried out, Jesus immediately, what does it say, stretched out his hand and saved him. Jesus is way over there somewhere. He's got a really long arm. (laughs) Which means... It doesn't matter how deep you go down, his arm is long enough to save you. You can be resting on the bottom, his arm is long enough to save you. He is mighty to save. Verse 32, and when they had got into the boat, the wind ceased. You know, the, the whole walking on the, the water story is cool and um, Peter doing it and, and there's a lot to learn from that. But the, I think the overriding story in this passage is, is this. The, the, the real issue was um, Jesus will always, if he asks you to do something, he will always provide a way. Because in all three of these of these um, accounts of this story, Jesus has asked them to go to the other side and there's been difficulty. And at the end, once Jesus gets into the boat, it becomes easy. If Jesus asks us to do something, he will make a way as long as he's in the boat. Again, don't trust in our own strength. And we know from from the verse in Mark 6.52, it says, for they, this is the disciples, had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. The disciples hadn't quite got it yet that Jesus is the source. You don't need to worry about how. You just need to respond to him. He will make a way. Unfortunately, they had to row for like five hours to figure that out. That's all right. Sometimes we have to pay the price to get the revelation. And then I'll finish with this last verse, verse 33. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. This is such a nice bookend to this passage. Because in the beginning, we see a group of people that want to worship him for what they can get, And now those who are with Jesus 
want to worship him for who he is. Son of God. We might get the team back up if that's okay. Um, lately at, at home, I've been um, doing the, some of the housework. I won't say all, because it's not all. <laughs> but Fee's been working full-time, uh, or near enough to full-time, and um, I've had sort of, I've been doing some projects at home, some building projects, and, and that also means that I'm at home to do the chores, and we all have chores to do, don't we? Uh, and as part of that, I've been baking some bread, I dusted out the old bread maker that's been in the cupboard for years, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to make some bread. And so I've been making bread, and on the bread maker, you can set a timer or finish it at a certain time, so you can go and do things, and then when the time's up, the bread's finished. And so when I come into the house and the bread's finished baking, there's a beautiful smell of fresh bread. Who loves that smell? Yeah. It's one of those smells, isn't it? But you know what? That same loaf a week later, yeah, not quite as appealing. It's a bit hard, a little bit stale. It's good for toast, I guess. So we're going to um, we're going to just worship in another song, and there's there's four things which I want to to raise that maybe you need ministry in that area. Um, so I'll just, I'll just go through those four things now, that, which is in this passage. First of all, like the stale bread, do you feel like you've settled down? Are you stuck in your ways or scared of change? Are you living on the leftovers of someone else's miracle? Well, today you can ask Jesus for fresh bread. He is the bread of life. In fact, he goes on to use that whole analogy as a teachable moment. The next time he sees all of, the, all of that same multitude of people that, that he fed, the 5,000, he explains to them how he is the bread of life. And sometimes we need to ask him, Lord, I need some fresh manna. I need some fresh bread. I need some fresh encounter experience with you. I don't want to be settled down anymore. Or maybe you feel like you're stuck in that boat and you've been rowing all night and you're still nowhere. And you barely can look at the oars anymore and, and you look behind you and where you want to get to is still a long way to go. You've been working hard and not getting anywhere. Ask Jesus into the boat today. I don't know what that looks like for you, but he does. Sometimes we can feel that fear is distracting or disarming our effectiveness in the kingdom. You know, Jesus, who is perfect love, casts out how much fear? All fear. And then maybe you feel like you're sinking. 
this water is, is stormy, that this path is not as easy as I thought it would be. I'm sinking. I'm sinking here. He is mighty to save. He has got a long arm. So we're going to um, we're going to worship to this one song. As the song finishes, we're, we're dismissed, as Russ would say. But if any of those things you know have resonated with you, then there'll be people who would love to pray with you. If you are, are surrounded by people you you know and trust, you can have them pray for you. Um, you're welcome to come up the front, and there'll be people here who can pray for you on those things as well. Will we all stand, please?